0: Well, if you didn't know it, the NFL football season pretty much kicked off today. There was an insignificant game Thursday night, but officially starts today. So if you are reading your Bible on your phone this morning, <laughs> my assumption is going to be that you're checking scores, just so you know. I had to put my phone in airplane mode because it keeps sending me these fantasy updates. 1 Corinthians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the mid-50s, not 1950s, just 50s. It's the longest letter Paul wrote. And he wrote a lot of letters. In fact, Paul wrote almost half of the New Testament of your Bible. There's 27 books in the New Testament, and Paul wrote 13 of them. The Corinthians had written Paul a letter. We don't have a copy of that, but in their letter they asked their former pastor and mentor a bunch of questions. And so this letter partly is written by Paul to answer those questions. Another reason Paul writes is to pass along teaching. As always, he has theology that he wants to get into the minds of his readers. But there's a third reason that Paul writes. The third reason that Paul writes, it's actually the main reason he writes, is that Paul had received reports, accurate reports of division and immoral behavior in this church. And so he writes this letter primarily to confront them. That confrontation is going to begin in the 10th verse of chapter one, and it will continue all the way through chapter two. Six. So it's not until chapter 7 that Paul begins to answer the actual questions that the Corinthians wrote about. But before all that, before the confrontation, before the theology instruction, before he responds to their questions, we have nine verses of introduction to the letter. And these are... Nine verses we'll see of encouragement. Before Paul confronts, he comforts. Before he instructs them, he's going to inspire them. Think of it this way. Paul has some very hard words for the Corinthians. He's going to punch them in the mouth. But first... He wants to make sure that their feet are set and they can handle it. That's what he's doing in these first nine verses. These nine verses are the subject and theme of this morning's sermon. Before we preach this sermon, we should pray together. Will you please bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, thank you for this time we have to open up your holy word. Time to hear from you. We ask that you would speak to us through your word and by your Holy Spirit. And that by the end of our time together, we would not be the same. Pray that our minds would be changed. Our hearts would be changed. Our wills would be changed. Help us even as I preach. Help us even as we listen to not stop praying. For you to come and do a work in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're using one of our church Bibles, which you're free to take with you, if you don't own a Bible, you'll find today's text on page 618. In these first nine verses of 1 Corinthians, we are introduced to the author, who is the Apostle Paul, and we are introduced to his readers, who were the Corinthians. And of all the things... That Paul could say about himself. And of all the things that Paul could say about his audience. He chooses to say who he is. And who they are in relation to God. That is how Paul talks about himself. In these opening verses. That is how Paul talks about his audience. In these opening verses. He talks about them in relation to God and he does that because when it comes to your personal identity nothing is more important than who Paul was and who the Corinthians were and who you are in relation to God that is the most important thing about Paul That is the most important thing about the Corinthians. That is the most important thing about me, about you, is who I am, who you are, who Paul was, who the Corinthians were in relation to God. So if you are a Christian today, and I hope you are, if you are a Christian, you have something in common with Paul and with the Corinthians. And I think you'll see that today. What you have in common with Paul and what you have in common with the Corinthians as a Christian is that you are called and kept children of God. You are called and kept children of God. As we work through the text, I'm going to ask three questions. And here they are. Number one, who is Paul? Number two, who were the Corinthians? And number three, who are you? Those are the questions we're going to ask. Who is Paul? Who are the Corinthians? And who am I? Who are you? More specifically, who is Paul? Who are the Corinthians? Who are you? In relation to God. So let's begin with who is Paul. Who is Paul? Well Paul only gives one verse to talk about himself. But he packs a lot in. Look at verse 1 with me. Paul called by the will of God. To be an apostle of Christ Jesus. That's one verse about Paul. He's got one verse. He chooses to say one sentence. What does he say? Paul. This is customary in ancient letters. You begin with who the author is and some statement about them. And then you have a statement about who the audience is. And then usually a blessing or a greeting or a thanksgiving prayer. And then you would get into the actual substance of the letter. So he begins by identifying himself. This is all he says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. So Paul is the author of this letter. For those of you who don't know his background, at one point in his life, as a young adult, Paul's name was Saul, and he was an enemy of Christ. And he was an official persecutor of the church, as in he traveled from town to town with authority to confront. Arrest and sometimes oversee the murder of Christians. In Acts seven, we read about the first Christian martyr. His name was Stephen. He was murdered by an angry mob for being a Christian and for preaching the gospel. And in verses 57 through 58 of Acts 7, we read this. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. That was Stephen. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul, that was Paul. The author of this letter. Then a couple chapters later in Acts 9. We read that Saul was dramatically converted. He had been given the appropriate papers to go to the city of Damascus. Where he could confront and arrest Christians. And on his way to Damascus. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ himself met him. And of course, Saul was converted. In the days following, not only did Saul become a Christian, but he was appointed to ministry. So overnight, he went from being a persecutor to a pastor. Overnight, he went from being a murderer to a missionary. So back to our specific question. Who was Paul? Who was Paul in relation to God? And what are his own words here? He was called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He was an apostle. The word apostle literally means sent one. An apostle was an official messenger with a mission. So Paul was an official messenger, like the rest of the capital A apostles, like the rest of the disciples. They knew Jesus face to face and he commissioned them with a mission. Jesus came to Paul, saved him and commissioned him to preach the gospel. And to build up the church. But how did Paul become an apostle? What do we learn from this verse? How did Paul become an apostle? We're told he was called by the will of God. This was not Paul's initiative. This was God's initiative. God called him. It's underscored by the phrase by the will of God. This was God's desire for Paul first. Paul called out to Jesus as a believer, but first, God called out to him. He was commissioned by God. He did not call himself. He did not appoint himself. He was called by the will of God. And we'll see. That word called is going to come up over and over again in these verses. So this is who Paul says he was. He was an apostle called by the will of God. So one verse for Paul. Let's move on to the Corinthians. Question number two. So who were the Corinthians? There's eight verses here. One verse for Paul. Eight verses we learn about his readers, his audience, the Corinthians. So look at verse two with verse one with me. Paul Called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. The church of God that is in Corinth. Literally, the assembly, the ecclesia is the Greek word, the assembly of God. The people gathered for God in this city of Corinth. They are the Corinthians. The Corinthians are the church of God that is in Corinth. That's interesting. You can actually read about the beginning of this church. There's a book of history in the New Testament. It's the book of Acts. That means the Acts, the early Acts of the Apostles. And in chapter 18, Luke, who's the writer of Acts, he records the founding of this church. And so let me give you some of the details. Paul was on his second missionary journey at the time. So you had these missionary journeys where he would travel from city to city. He would preach the gospel in a city. He'd typically be the first one to preach the gospel to that city. And he would evangelize in that city until there were Christians. Then once there were Christians, he would teach and train them to be leaders and pastors And then once there were leaders and pastors, he would put them in charge of the little church. And then he would move on to the next town and he'd start it all over again. And that was his pattern. So he first came to Corinth in Acts chapter 18. So let's talk about Corinth for a few minutes. We're going to be in this book for a long time. It's going to be helpful for us to understand and remember who these people were, what the culture was like, what this city was like. So here's an interesting fact that helps you to understand the kind of city that Corinth was. In the first century, when Paul's writing this letter, in the first century, even if you were not from Corinth, you might be called a Corinthian if you were given to frequent. And publicly immoral behavior. If that was you in the first century. You might be called a Corinthian. It was also turned into a verb. The name of the city was. To Corinthianize. That was another word used. To Corinthianize literally meant to go to the devil. Corinth was a very large city. Somewhere around half a million people. It was located on an isthmus, which is a narrow piece of land connecting two larger pieces of land. So if you were to look at a map of Greece today, you'd see a large northern part of Greece that is connected to the rest of Europe. And then at the southern end of Greece is this enormous peninsula known as the Peloponnese. And then joining them is this little four-mile bottleneck of land that's called an isthmus. And on that isthmus is the city of Corinth. So think about it. Anyone who is traveling from north to south in Greece would have to go through Corinth. Anyone traveling from east to west or from ocean to ocean would have to pass through Corinth. So a lot of people. Think of our major port cities in the United States and what they're known for. So you'd have a lot of people, a lot of travelers, a lot of tourists, a lot of money, a lot of cultures, a lot of religions, a lot of ideas, a lot of sin. That was Corinth. In fact, up on the hill overlooking the city was a temple devoted to the Roman god Aphrodite. And at certain times of the year, this temple would employ over one thousand priestesses or prostitutes who were employed in the temple and would make their way for work in and throughout the city so the commentator leon morris said the city to which paul came preaching the gospel was then a very cosmopolitan place it was an important city it was intellectually alert materially prosperous and morally corrupt G. Campbell Morgan said, if Athens to the north, if Athens was a center of clouded light, Corinth was a center of corrupt life. If Athens was full of idolatry, Corinth was full of sensuality. So that's Corinth. That's where Paul shows up in Acts chapter 18. Now, before he shows up there. We read that he was up north in Athens He preached there, but very few responded positively before Athens. He was in Berea. They responded well to his preaching, but were disrupted when an angry mob showed up from Thessalonica. That's where Paul was before where he was threatened and basically kicked out of the city. And before Thessalonica, Paul was in Philippi, where Paul and his friend Silas were beaten and thrown into jail. This is not on a winning streak. When he comes into Corinth, so it's no surprise that by the time Paul shows up in Corinth, he is weak and he is tired. In fact, he's going to mention that later on in this letter. So once he gets to Corinth, he stayed with a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. They were in the same business as Paul tent making, so he would make tents with them during the week. And then on the on the weekends, he would go to the synagogue and he would preach the gospel. And this was his routine. It did not go well at first. People did not like what he had to say. They started fighting with him. They started making fun of him. And at one point, you can read, I'll paraphrase, chapter 18, verse 6. At one point, Paul gets to the end of his rope. They push him to the edge. And he says, fine, your blood be on your own heads. I'm done with you. I'm never coming back. He's just sick of it. I mean, he's being called to preach the gospel. He's being called to build up the church. And and we tend to think that everything was a success, that everything he touched turned to gold. It wasn't like that at all. City after city after city, rejection after rejection after rejection. And by the sixth verse of chapter 18 in Acts, Paul has had enough. So he leaves upset the synagogue that day. He doesn't leave the city. In fact, he goes right next door to the synagogue and starts staying with a guy named Justice, a good guy. Paul kept preaching. Things started to turn around. And then one night. You remember this story? One night, probably because Paul is at his wit's end. God came to him in a vision. And here's what God said to him. Paul, do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people I have don't be af- the gist don't be afraid Paul because I have many people in this city Okay there were like 5 Christians In Corinth, including Paul, when God said that. He's looking, he can see them all across a table. And he gets this encouraging vision from God. I have many people who are my people in this city. So what is God saying? God is saying that there were many Christians in Corinth. They just didn't know it yet. And as Paul would preach the gospel. We'll get into this as Paul would call out to the masses, God would call out to many within the masses and they were going to respond and believe the gospel. So they were covert and they didn't even know it. So God encourages them and says, hey, keep preaching. Your your work is not done here. I've got a lot of people. That I intend to save and I need you to preach the gospel so that I can activate that gospel in their hearts and they will come to me and believe. Well, evidently, that was all the encouragement Paul needed because he stayed for another year and a half. So he stayed for another year and a half in Corinth before moving on to the next city. And now fast forward years later in the mid 50s, years later, the church in Corinth has grown there are some problems and they write a letter to Paul asking for help and advice. And 1 Corinthians is his response. He writes in this letter. So who were the Corinthians? Think with me. Who were the Corinthians? Verse two, they were the church of God in Corinth. Were you paying attention to the description of that city? And now years later, there's a big church in that city. A church that belongs to God. That was a miracle. That's the last place you'd expect to find a church. That's the last place you'd expect to find Christians. One commentator called a church in Corinth a great and joyful paradox. There's more. There's more to the answer. Who were the Corinthians? Listen to what Paul goes on to say. Listen to what he goes on to say about the Corinthians in their relation to God. There are three more things to see. Let's look at the first thing, verse two. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. First, the Corinthians were sanctified in Christ Jesus. This word sanctified. It means dedicated, or devoted, or set apart. And the Bible has different ways of using this word. There is a past, and there is a present, and there is a future. A Christian has been sanctified, and the Bible talks about that. A Christian is being sanctified, and the Bible talks about that. And a Christian will be sanctified, and the Bible talks about that. If you're a Christian, you have been saved. You are being saved. And you will be saved. Positional sanctification is what happened in the past. When you became a Christian, you were plucked up. Okay, You were plucked up by God. You were set apart from the world and dedicated to Jesus Christ. Your position... In the universe, in relation to God, changed. You went from being an enemy of God to a friend of God. He plucked you out, took you away from the world, and dedicated you, and gave you, we're told in the Gospel of John, and gave you to Jesus Christ. That's past tense, Christian. Progressive sanctification is what is happening now. Now, Christian, God is making you more like Christ. So, he dedicated you to Christ. Now, he is making you more like Christ. That's present. And then one day, you will experience perfected sanctification. That is what will happen in heaven when God will make you perfect in Christ. So, God has dedicated you to Christ when he saved you, past tense. God, present tense, is making you more like Christ. And one day, God will make you perfect in Christ. That is positional sanctification. That is progressive sanctification. That is perfected sanctification. This here is positional sanctification. This is past tense, isn't it? These people have been, they were, sanctified in Christ Jesus, which means they were set apart. He's reminding them. You were set apart and you were dedicated to Christ. Second, look at the rest of verse 2 and verse 3. Called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the word called again. So not only, who were the Corinthians? Not only had they been sanctified, they had been called. That's the second time this word is used. It's going to be used one more time. We'll come back to this in a minute. So they're sanctified. Sanctified. They're called. And then finally, third, look at verse four with me. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So they were sanctified. They were called and they were given grace. They were given grace. They were given favor from God, undeserved, unwarranted, unmerited favor from God. God gave them grace. Incidentally, that is why Paul thanks God for the Corinthians. Some people, that sounds weird. If I'm thankful for you, I say, thank you. Thank you. I'm thankful for you. But if my understanding is that everything you are and all the blessing that you are to me is because of God's grace on your life, then my thanksgiving goes past you. It goes beyond you. It goes above you. It goes to God. And so I thank God for you because you wouldn't be who you are. I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for the grace of God. So Paul tells them, he doesn't go on and on. Hey, you're great in this way and you're great in that way. And man, way to go here and way to go there. He could do that. He doesn't. He says, I thank God for you. Because everything and anything good that a Christian is, is solely, solely because of God's grace. There's just no other reason. What the Corinthians had been rescued from. What they had become was all of grace. That was the title. Some of you have read the book. Of one of Charles Spurgeon's most well-known books. All of grace. And he means all. Everything. The Christian understands that it is all of grace. This is why John Bradford said in 1555, as he watched a criminal being dragged off to execution, there I go, but for the grace of God. And this is why Paul will say in the 15th chapter of this letter, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It'll be a recurring theme. We read it in our congregational text this month. There's no reason ever for a Christian to be proud of anything, to boast in anything. Anything good in you is solely because of God's grace. So the Corinthians had been given grace. They had been given that undeserved favor. And that grace included the following blessings. Listen to verse 5 and following. That in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you are not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. So let me summarize this so far. The answers we have to our questions. Who is Paul? He was an apostle called by the will of God. And who were the Corinthians? They were saints called by God. You hear this word called. Paul uses it about himself. He uses it about the Corinthians. I've been called. You've been called. He has other things to say about the Corinthians. We just looked at them, but they're all underneath this called been sanctified, you've been given grace, you've been given gifts, but all that because first and foremost, you like me, Paul is saying we have this in common, you have been called. Verse two, called. To be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and verse nine, he'll say it a third time called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. Christ our Lord, called, called, called three times in this short little text. That's intentional. That means something. Paul and the Corinthians were Christians by the grace of God. They were Christians. They had been called. They were not in fellowship with the Son, verse 9. They were not connected to the Son, Jesus Christ. They were not in relationship with Him. They were not reconciled to God. And God called them into family. He brought them into the family. He put them around the dinner table. Invited them into His home. Gave them His inheritance. They were called into the fellowship. They were a band of people, Paul and these Corinthians. They were a band of people devoted to Christ in the middle of a morally corrupt city. And think about it. How did this happen? This is what Paul is telling us. How did church get there? How did Paul get there? How did Christ get there? How did the gospel get in the city? And the answer is, they were called. This word for called, it's used frequently in the New Testament. I encourage you to look more into it. It refers to divine initiative. When you see this word called, In the New Testament of your Bible, it means divine initiative. Here's that put another way. It is an official invitation. You'll see how that's interesting in a minute. This calling is an official invitation. It is an invitation that one should not refuse. (laughs) And it is an invitation that one cannot refuse. It is divine initiative. It is an official invitation. You should not refuse it because it is from God. And you cannot refuse it because it is from God. It is an irresistible invitation. It is irresistible grace. It is an irresistible calling. It is, the theologians have said, effectual. Which means it always has its intended effect. It's not like I call you. Well, that's not effectual. I call you, a little green button shows up, and a little red button, and you push the red button. You can decline that call. It's not like that. This is an effectual call. It cannot be denied. It overcomes all resistance. This is not the invitation of a preacher. That is often ignored. This is something different. This is a calling from God that goes straight to the heart. There's an outward call. That's what I'm doing. But then there's this inward call. You ever wonder if someone preaches, an evangelist preaches, a pastor preaches. Some people respond and others don't. I hope you don't think it's because of something better in this person than in that person. That's not the case. You ever wonder why some believe and some don't? Listen, of all the times this word for calling is used in the New Testament, not once does someone resist it. Not once. Not this calling. Not a single time. When God calls someone, they respond. When God calls someone to repentance, they repent. When God calls someone to retire their plans in exchange for his, they retire their plans in exchange for his. So ask yourself this question How did this happen to the Corinthians? They were called. So did they invite Christ into their heart? Or did God invite them into Christ? Friends, there's a big difference there. There's a big difference there. And if you're like me, you've heard that phrase a thousand times. Or maybe if you're like me, you've said it a thousand times. And you've painted a picture of Jesus knocking, 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 desperate, Weeping, sad, doing everything he can to get into your heart. And if only, and what do we say? You would invite him in. He just wants an invitation. We should be careful talking like that. Because whatever we're trying to communicate in that, that is unbiblical. The Corinthians did not. If you're a Christian, you did not, even if you thought you did and said those words like I probably did. You did not invite Jesus into your heart. My goodness, he needs no invitation. God invited you into Christ. That's what the word calling means. It, what is it? An official invitation, a divine initiative. You weren't, he wasn't like throwing a party. And you were walking around outside. He's like, hey, come on. It's a really great party. Just believe me. I know it looks lame. I know it looks lame. I know this church looks lame. It looks like they're not having any fun. But I promise, once you get in, you're going to have a good time. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know. And some people take his invitation. That's not it. That's not it. We were all running headlong, full speed, in the opposite direction. And he horse-collared you. And he dragged you back. And He puts you in. And then you say, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. I never would have known. Right, because you were blinded to it. Because you're a sinner who wanted to sin. And you thought sin was the best thing ever. And now you learn how foolish that is. Now to live is Christ and die is game. And you know it's all of grace. The Corinthians are called children of God. One more thing to see here. It's very important. So they have been called. They are Christians. We could say it this way. This may sound strange to some of you. Stick around. You'll warm up to it. God made them Christians. God made them Christians. But now the question is that these last two verses address. Have you ever felt this? Will they stay Christians? Have you ever freaked out about that? Have you ever worried about that? Am I the only one? Less today than I used to? But Am I going to keep this thing up? Am I going to keep this thing going? I know this one, and I know that one, and I've heard stories, and I've seen this. So what will happen to these Corinthians, right? He's steadying their feet. He's got hard words for them. You've been called, so God has made you Christians, but now he really is going to steady them now. Make them ready for the hard words he has to say. What will happen to these Corinthians in the future to keep them Christians? That's the question now. What will happen in the future to keep them Christians? Look at verse 8 with me. Who, and look right before that word who, at the end of verse 7, who's the who? The Lord Jesus Christ. What's He going to do in the future? The Lord Jesus Christ, Christian, you've got to listen to this. The Lord Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that should shake you up. Now, when you read that, you should say, there's a really strange word here about me on that last day. And it's guiltless. I tell my wife I'm that all the time. But, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's not true. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm guilty. Like I'm guilty this morning. Are you with some of you with me? Like I'm guilty this morning. I'm probably guilty in the last 40 minutes. Do the math. How is that possible? How am I On this day where I stand before the Lord Jesus, how am I going to be guiltless? Now, the Christian knows it's because of, beginning of the sentence, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he has taken my sin. And taken the penalty for my sin. Taken the consequence for my sin. And not only that, because that's not enough. He has given me his perfection. He has given me his righteousness so that when the Christian, at the end of all the garbage he did, when that Christian stands before Jesus one day, Jesus, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit will see me, if you're a Christian, will see you as guiltless, As Jesus Christ. With no spot. With no blemish. And the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8, is going to make sure you get to that day. He will sustain you to the end. Why? Verse 9. Because what? God is faithful. He doesn't break promises, He doesn't change His mind. He's immutable, He never changes. God is faithful. God, by whom you were called. So the God who called you will keep you. He's reminding the Corinthians. He's reminding us. The God who called you will keep you. God would sustain the Corinthians to the end because he is faithful. So, Paul and the Corinthians, do you see? are called and kept children of God. We have one question left. In conclusion, what about you? What about you? Young, old, not too soon, not too late, Who are you today? Who are you right now as you sit in your seat? What is your identity? So much talk about this today. How do you identify yourself? By your politics? By the color of your skin? By your family? By your possessions. By your power. By your achievements. By your passions. By your job. By your hobbies. By your responsibilities. What comes to mind? How do you think about yourself? How do you talk about yourself? How do you introduce yourself? How do you promote yourself? I'm a human being. Personally speaking, I'm a Myers. Take a degree of pride in that. I think I teach my children to take a degree of pride in that. My dad wanted me to take great pride in the fact that we're Austrian. Probably haven't heard me bring that up a bunch. Be my dad and Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think. I <laughs> don't really know who else. I'm a pastor, comes to mind. A husband, a father, a brother, a teacher, to a much lesser degree of accomplishment, a hunter, a fisherman. A carpenter, a coach, a guitar player. What's most important? I mean, at the end of the day, who am I? Who is Paul? What does he talk about? Who are the Corinthians? What does he talk about? I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I'm a Christian. This is basically how I think of my life for many years now. I am a Christian. That's number one. I am a husband to my wife, Kristen. That's number two. This is literally the order of priority in my life. I am a father so far to Peyton, Brady, Jackson, Blaze, Avery, and Reed. And I'm a pastor to most of you. And then I'm some other stuff. But Those are the real priorities there. And at the very top, at the very top, I'm not saying I always act like this, but at the very top must be this, that I am a child of God. Think about this if you're a Christian right now. Who are you? You are A child of God. You are an adopted child of God. Now think about this. I hope you know this. Not everyone is a child of God. The Bible never teaches that every human being is a child of God. Every human being is an image bearer of God. And therefore valuable and worthy of our love and care and protection. All of that. But not everyone is a child of God. A child of God is someone, a Christian. A son or daughter that has been justified through Jesus Christ and then immediately adopted by God. He becomes their father and they become his sons and daughters were brought into his home We sit around his table and he never, ever, ever kicks us out. No matter what. So I'm a child of God. And then. What I'm reminded of in this text is. How I came to be a child of God. So are you a child of God? And if you are a child of God, what has Paul reminded you of this morning? God called you. God brought you in. God adopted you. God opened your eyes. God opened your ears. God gave you new life. Like you were born again. God took your heart of stone. And he gave you a heart of flesh. He Called you out of darkness. And brought you into his glorious light. Not only that. Not only Christian. Are you a child of God. Because God has called you. But also. You will be kept. To the very end. And then into eternity. You have been called and you will be kept, so be encouraged. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the word that you've had for us today. Thank you for this news or this reminder that we have been called by you into your great family. And that you have promised to keep us in your great family. That it's once in, always in. We're thankful, God. We know that it is all of grace. Thank you for changing our heart. Thank you for changing our mind. Thank you for changing our will. I pray, God, for those who are here this morning. Who you have not yet called. And I ask that. Along with this preaching of your word. That you would call them today. That you would call them out of darkness and into light. I pray that there would be change. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So every Sunday. Following every sermon. We respond by taking communion together. That's what we do every week here. We do that in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in remembrance Of what he has accomplished for us on the cross through his death. So later in this this letter that we're studying in 1 Corinthians 11. Let me read to you beginning in verse 23 through verse 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. you are invited to take communion with us if you are a Christian. If you have confessed your sin and placed your trust for salvation solely in the work of Christ. And if you are committed to a local church, this or another that faithfully preaches the gospel. If you are not a Christian, communion is not for you. If you are A merely professing Christian with no church home in word committed to Christ, but in action not committed to his body. Communion is also not for you. For the rest of you. Brothers and sisters, in a few moments when the leaders are up here to serve, we invite you to enter into the center aisle. Come forward and take the emblems and then return to your seat and we'll take this communion together. For those of you who are not Christians. Or for those of you who are merely professing Christians. This would be a great day to turn to Christ. I'm available after service. Others would be available after service. If this is something that you'd like to talk about. Let's pray one more time before we take communion together. Our father in heaven, we come to you again. And we come to you now because we are preparing to, in the way you've commanded us, remember your death. The death of your son, Jesus Christ. And we mean to proclaim his death through what we do in the next few minutes. God, we want you to know that it is our heart and desire that you would be pleased and honored And glorified. Help us God. Help us to remember now. And to proclaim now. In a way that brings you all the glory. And we ask for this in Jesus name.